Um, we are in uh, Luke uh, today, uh, Luke chapter 12. We've been going through um, the book of Luke and uh, have been walking with Jesus and his disciples. And uh, this morning, um, for those who are doing the gospel project in Sunday school, um, if you're not part of Sunday school, we invite you to be a part of that 9 o'clock. Uh, be a part of one of the community groups during the week um, as we are learning what it is to be God's people together. Um, so in youth today, we were going through the Gospel Project and we were talking about Moses passing off the torch to Joshua and Joshua being um, promised by God that as they entered into this new land, there's going to be all kinds of trouble. And the trouble mainly was going to be with the ones who are going to inhabit the land. They were the ones who were bringing in the trouble, right? They were going to be, uh, in this new season, they were going to uh, do all kinds of evil things, and they were going to follow after other gods that weren't gods at all, and God was going to judge them. And so Moses, the Lord, is preparing Joshua and the people for this next stage. What is it going to be like in this next stage that God is going to take them through. And Moses, as you know, who, who were in the lesson, Moses teaches them a song. God gives them a song to sing. Uh, really helpful for our youth because we were talking about what is that song that we sing and the transitions they are going to have in life. And as they all go off to, to work or to college or whatever they go, where they go, to make sure they have this song, that they have this song of like the church. Uh, and, the, and the fellowship together and the God's word and they, they are receiving it regularly. Well, Moses is going to give them this song and they're supposed to recite it from generation to generation. Really helpful to understand what Jesus is then doing in Luke chapter 12. It's just a perfect, a perfect segue to what's happening in the book, uh, in, this, in the 12th chapter of Luke. Because Jesus is saying, listen, we're about to hit into a new time here. You're going to be walking a new journey, a new, new part of this path. And I'm not going to be with you. And I want you to be aware that there's going to be some real issues that are going to come up with you. There are, going to be, there are going to be internal problems that come out, and there are going to be external problems. And I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready for this next part of the journey. And so he tells them, listen, I'm going to leave, but I'm also going to be coming back. And in the meantime, you need to make yourselves ready. Don't, don't fall asleep on me here. I'm coming back for you. And so he's preparing him this whole time. I want you to be ready. I want you to know what these next days are going to hold for you. And so we, too, are in those days where Jesus has, has gone, he's ascended, and now he's left us with the Holy Spirit. And now how are we going to walk in these days? How are we going to be Israel in this new land? How are we going to be the people of God in this next part of the journey? There are promises that there are going to be inward and outward struggles as we go. But Jesus is going to give them some real hope. You know, they didn't know what to expect. They don't know what's, what's going to happen next. The road ahead will be much harder than they believed. And Jesus is going to be far greater than they imagined. Luke chapter 12, verse 49. And Jesus says, I came to cast fire on the earth and would that it would already be kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. 
You know, if I would have just read those words to you, you might not put those to Jesus, right? Like, what are you reading from? Do you think that I have come to give peace on the earth? No. No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, in one house there will be five divided, three against two, and two against three. They will be divided father against son, and son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And you almost want to say, what? Is this, is this what he means to be saying? He's preparing us for the next stage of our journey. We know Jesus as the Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. But Jesus says here, do you think I came to give peace? And, he's, and, and, and we were said, yes. And he said, no. What? So how can he be the Prince of Peace, but he doesn't come to bring peace? You see, in the, in the Old Testament, when you have this phrase, Prince of Peace, it's, it's written in Hebrew. So the word for peace is the word shalom. And so this word, and the word shalom, isn't a word that is, very trans, is, is not easily translated into the Greek. It's a beautiful Hebrew word that we just have to, to try to understand, because we don't have it in English either. And in fact, it's still used all over the world. People say shalom to each other. They say uh, in, in Arabic, uh, in, in Swahili, they say salama to each other. Shalom, peace. May there be peace with you. But this, this peace is a kind of peace that, that assumes that the world is broken and the shalom makes all things well. I, I am wishing to you that all things would be made well that all things would be whole. They would be on earth as it is in heaven. Shalom. Powerful, glorious word. And so this phrase, Prince of Peace, comes from Isaiah 9, 6 through 7, when it talks about this child that is going to be born. He's going to have these names. He'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. There will be no end to the shalom in his government, in his kingdom, and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Jesus is coming as the prince of shalom. He's going to make all things like they are in the kingdom of God. And so when Jesus came to the earth, he began to usher in this kingdom. He began to give us a foretaste of what this kingdom's like. He began to make things right that were broken. He brought shalom. Now, his kingdom was not going to be completely manifest at this time. And so there is still this kingdom to come where the prince of peace will reign and it will be his government and his establishment. And so we were looking for that. The the, the disciples were looking for that. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring you Irene, which is the the Greek word. And and this word uh, doesn't have the same fullness of shalom. It's the best way to translate shalom. But this this word also has the idea of like a break from war, a a keeping away from uh, from fighting, that there would be peace, there would be rest, right? 
There'd be tranquility. But Jesus says, I didn't come to bring you that. When my kingdom comes here on earth, it is, as it moves about the earth, it's not going to be full shalom. That's yet to come. There's shalom yet to come. But right now, there's not going to be that kind of peace. There's going to be struggle. There's going to be there's going to be problems because of Jesus is saying of who I am. The angel said, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those whom he is pleased. It is a taste in the life of Jesus and a promise of the future. Yet Jesus is saying that he is, he is coming with fire and judgment. He's not coming with a break from that, but he's bringing it. You know, that's part of our message to the world, right? It isn't that Jesus has come, but that there is Jesus who's coming in judgment. Are we ready? We need to preach this message to the world. Jesus is coming back. And he is going to judge those who are righteous and those who are not righteous. Where do you stand before our God? He's coming back. He's coming back. Turn to him today. That's our message to the, to the world. He has provided a way for us. Hebrews 12, 29 says that, that Jesus is, our God is a consuming fire. And that kingdom is progressing. Matthew eleven twelve says the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing and violent people lay hold against it. The kingdom of God is moving forward. Will you be on the train? Justin, I read a little while ago in 1 Peter chapter 2, and Jesus is the cornerstone. He is also the rock what? The rock of fence. That many who don't believe will stumble over him and they will fall. Jesus is a rock of offense. We see it today as we proclaim Jesus, as we hold on to Jesus. Because of Jesus, we are offensive to people. So much so that they want to do harm to us. That they want to fight against us and even kill us. I don't know if you, were, you saw in the news this last week, the Baptist Press reported on Monday that the total was 130 on Monday and it was 200 yesterday of Christians who were, who were martyred in Nigeria. This is just a week ago. Just a week ago. As I was looking up the the most difficult places in the world for Christians to live. Uh, number one is uh, North Korea. Number two is Afghanistan. And number three is Somalia. And then comes Sudan. And then a little further down the road is uh, Kenya, and tw uh, uh, Kenya and Ethiopia at 29 and 32, where Christians, don't, they receive in different places of those countries great persecution and in some of those places, they are killed because, because they are Christians. Jesus is a rock of offense. And I was uh, on the Ethiopian border. 
uh, we were ministering, um, uh, we were having a class among the Barana people. And the Barana people are 80% Muslim. And the Barana people are, are in two large sub-clans. And so we were visiting with one of the pastors, and I said, well, what is it like to live as a minority in this culture? He says, I don't, it's really hard. He said, because they consider all Christians as unclean. He says, our own people won't kill us because we're the same tribe, but they won't eat with us. They won't spend time with us. We are looked on, we are outcasts, we are nobodies. And he said, and it also makes it really hard to get married. You don't think about that, do you? He said, because in our clan, you have, I mean, in our tribe, the one side of the Baran have to marry the other side of the Baran. You can't, do, you can't marry in the sub-clan. So then you have, that means of all the ladies you see, only 50% of them are, are eligible. And of those, 80% are Muslim. So, slim pickings. Same for the ladies, right? Slim pickings. And so, there's great challenges for those who claim to be followers after Christ. There is a fighting against that kind of decision. It's a fighting against Christ. I talked to, to Alfred, one of our, our pastors in Archer's Post, and I said, what is it like for you? He said, well, well when, we, when we become Christians in our tribe, we, are, we can't participate in any of the celebrations because they're sacrificing to other gods and they have all these rituals and they're sleeping around. We can't do those kind of things. We have to figure out a new way of living. And I said, how do you make it? He said, all we have is Jesus and each other. That's all we have. I said, well, how do you make it? He said, that's enough. Amen. That's enough. And so Jesus says, when I come, I am not going to bring peace. You were hoping for peace. And, you know, there is there's a whole line of teaching in, I say in quotes, the church. I hear pastors preaching a kind of peace that says, you know, Jesus has come to make everything happy for you. Things are going to be good. You're going you're to do well. And if you follow these principles, then Jesus is going to make you rich. He, you're going to be a designer Christian wearing the designer clothes. He has come to give you power over things. He's, but Jesus isn't saying that. Jesus said, I didn't come to make things happy for you. In fact, I'm coming to make things miserable for you. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to enter your life, and the people who were your friends, your family, they're going to say, not anymore. I don't understand what you're doing, right? We've had people come into our church. We've had young people come into our church, and their parents aren't Christians, and their parents think they're idiots. Really. Like, what are you doing? What is that all about? But they come, and they find Christ, and it causes tension in their household. And the parents, like every week, are deciding whether they're going to let their children to go. And when they get baptized, the parents have this great struggle, like, I want to support my kids, but I don't support them in that. Or we've seen adult uh, parents come in, and their kids think they're crazy. As they come to faith, and the, it becomes real tension in the household. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you experienced this even in your own household? There are some in your family who may be Christians, like there's three of the five, and then two of them... Not so much. And like they don't want to quite be around you because they know that you're coming with judgment. Even if you don't say anything, like it's judgment. Amen? Do you know what I'm talking about? 
And so it makes, you know, family reunions at Christmas kind of awkward because you want to do different things. Like we want to go to church and we want to worship. They're like, I think we're going to drink beer and hang out over here. We're going to do our thing. Or we're going to fuss at each other and do the whole thing we're all used to. Right? And so there becomes a tension in the household because you're going in different directions. You have different masters. And there's a part of us that just wants peace, right? Why can't we just get along, right? I just want to get along. But you add Jesus in this scenario, and we got problems. And so here we are. We have this constant struggle, like I'm praying for him. Right, that becomes like our nightly thing. Lord, please help uncle so-and-so, help my aunt so-and-so, help my mom, help my children. And it becomes a wedge that we start, we ask the Lord, come and remove and let us be together. Sometimes it'd be easier if we didn't have faith in order to bring peace in the family. But who wants that kind of peace? Jesus is going to bring trouble because he is the rock of offense. People are going to stumble over them, and in our relationships, they're going to stumble. So Jesus is telling his disciples, look, in the next days, I know you're looking for a prince of peace where everything is just right, and I'm coming back. But right now, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be lots of trouble. I want you to be warned of this. I want you to be ready for this. It's not going to be easy. Jesus has called us out into a, to be a different kind of people. As Justin read from 1 Peter 2, he read that, we were a, that Jesus is a rock of offense, but he was calling us out to be a royal priesthood, a holy nation. There is a, a letter in the second century uh, written by... Well, he just uh, identifies himself as Matthaitus, which is a disciple in Greek. And so it's just a general letter, and he's writing to a guy named, uh, I'm not going to say it right, it's in Latin, Diognamentum, where our Latin scholars, did I get close to that? Okay. I know, I know there are kids in the, in the audience going, oh my gosh, that's ridiculous. What's he thinking? But I want you to listen to this, this one brother... Are writing to the next. This is the first century, in the second century. They didn't write in English, by the way, but I'm going to read it into English. It says uh, of, of Christians at that time, they live in their own countries, but only as aliens. Christians, they have a share in everything as citizens and endure everything as foreigners. Every foreign land is their fatherland, and yet for them, every fatherland is a foreign land. We are citizens of a different, of a different place. They marry like everyone else, and they beget children, but they don't, like the world, cast out their offspring. Can you imagine? That's been happening since the second century. They share their board with each other. They share meals together, but not their marriage bed. Is it true that they are in, it is true that they are in the flesh, but they do not live according to the flesh. 
They busy themselves on the earth, but their citizenship is in heaven. They obey the established laws, but in their own lives they go far beyond what the law requires. They love all men, and by all men are they persecuted. They are unknown, and still they are condemned. They are put to death, and yet they are brought to life. They are poor, and yet they make many rich. They are completely destitute, and yet they enjoy complete abundance. They are dishonored, and then their very dishonor are glorified. They are defamed, and then vindicated. They are reviled, and yet they bless. When they are affronted, they still pay due respect. When they do good, they are punished as evildoers, undergoing punishment. They rejoice because they are brought to life. They are treated by the Jews as foreigners and enemies and are hunted down by the Greeks. And all the time, those who hate them find it impossible to justify their enmity. We are called to be a different kind of people. In the midst of a world that, is, that sees Jesus as a rock of offense, our following him will be offensive to the world. But we must continue to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. So here's the good news. Jesus lays out this tough road ahead, but he promises that he'll be with us. He promises that he will be with us now and that he will usher in the fulfillment of his kingdom. And so just like uh, Joshua was told, we need to be strong and courageous. Jesus says, now I, have, I am being baptized in my baptism. Now in Luke chapter 12, has Jesus been baptized already? Yeah, he's already been baptized. So what is he talking about? He's talking about the baptism kind of fire. Like he's about to have to go through it. He is going through it. And he is expecting the coming day in which he will have to be beaten. That his friends will turn against him. That he will be so offensive to the world that they will hang him up on a tree in public until he dies. Jesus knows this day is coming and he says, I wish it was here already. I wish I wouldn't have to go through this. I would, like we fast forward, it would be better. But for your sake, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to endure it. You see, Jesus knew that this journey that he was taking was going to be extremely difficult and it was going to cost him his life. But he was willing to endure it for your sake and mine. Amen. That's how much Jesus loves us. He could have pushed fast forward, but he didn't. He said, I am being baptized even right now in your presence. And I am looking forward to that baptism in which I will die and I will pass over and I will win you salvation. I'm looking forward to it. And I wish it was already here. And then I'm looking for the fire to come again in judgment. You see, Jesus was willing to endure. He realized that this life was a life that was going to be to take offense at him. He is the stumbling block. He will also bring the, the fire of judgment. But he has also endured the fire. Jesus knew the fire was coming and he endured it anyway. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago we talked about Jesus' own title for himself. He calls himself the, remember? The Son of Man. The Son of Man. The Son of Man is the one who has come from God 
and endures life as a man. And Jesus is saying to you and me, look, as you go through this, there are going to be problems. You've experienced them, church, right? You're feeling them in your body right now. You're seeing them in your relationships right now. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I came as the son of man and I endured it. And when, you in, when you're going through it, I want to tell you, I want you to feel the love here. Jesus is saying, I know, what you're, I know what you're going through. I don't know it like this. Like I know it like this. I know what it is to be betrayed. I know what it is for people to be against you. I know the pain in your body. I, I know those things. And I don't want to tell you, I'm with you. Jesus is even more glorious than they could have imagined. He is greater than they could have believed. I am with you, I know you, and I'm coming back for you. That's Jesus' word. You see, when uh, there's a, a writer named Frederick Beekner, uh, writer, poet, um, theologian, and he envisions the Buddha sitting in his, uh, I can't do it, but in the lotus position, and his uh, eyes are closed under the bow tree. His lips are faintly parted in the smile of one who has passed beyond every power in earth and heaven to touch him. He is at peace. He lo- he, and, he, and he says, he who loves 50 has 50 woes. This is what the Buddha says. He who loves 10 has 10 woes. He who loves none has no woes. And he is satisfied with his eyes closed, the Buddha. And Jesus? Jesus says in John 3.16 that he came into the world to take away the world's woes, right? To take on all of the world's woes and to receive the suffering that goes with it. The key to, to life in the Buddha is to remain away from suffering and Jesus has entered into it. In Matthew 23, 46, Jesus says, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Then he closes his eyes. The difference is the Buddha's eyes are closed to shut out the world and Christ closed having taken it in. This is the Savior who has come for you and me to suffer, to take on all of our woes, to say, I love you, and I am making a way. Church, it's going to be hard, and it is only going to get harder. But we have a Savior who knows our pain and who has made a way. The road is much harder than you might have guessed, but our Lord is greater than you would have ever imagined.